It's interesting, we were just declaring that we have a God who is worthy to be praised. And we're willing to say, blessed be the name of the Lord who gives, and we love that part, who takes away. And if we can find the presence of a God of hope in the time that there's taking away. We're like Job, we are able to truly acknowledge the difficult, harsh realities of life that create pain at the deepest level of the soul. And yet, at the same time, acknowledge that God is still in control. Willing to say we don't have answers, we don't know why, but we know who. Then we move to a place of remedy and resolve. I remember where I was 10 years ago on that dreadful day. I'd gotten up early that morning and gone to the church where we were pastoring and I met with a team of guys and we were just basically having a small group devotion, prayer, and of course some great donuts. And Kelly called and said, you really need to get to your office and turn on the television. There, there's something horrible happening. And I watched as terrorists stabbed our nation right in the heart repeatedly at the World Trade Center there in New York, the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and then along a quiet countryside there in southwest Pennsylvania. Let me remind you of what I call the chronicle of chaos. It was at 6.58 that morning that United Airlines Flight 175 left Boston. It was bound for L.A. And one minute later, another flight, American Airlines Flight 11, departed Boston en route to L.A. Two minutes later, United Airlines Flight 93 left Newark, New Jersey, also en route to San Francisco. And then at 7.10, American Airlines Flight 77 took off from Dulles International Airport just outside Washington, D.C. It, too, headed for L.A. Nine minutes later, at 7.10 a.m., American Flight 77 took off from that Dulles Airport. and Everything was now in place for these repeated attacks that left us reeling in unbelief. 35 minutes later, at 7.45, American Flight 11 plunged right into the north tower of the World Trade Center, and it was a direct hit. 18 minutes after the north tower was hit, at 8.03, United Flight 175 crashed into the south tower. 40 minutes after the south tower was hit, at 8.43, American Flight 77 crashed full throttle into the Pentagon. Part of the Pentagon collapsed. Flames exploded right in the nerve center of our nation's major military facility. Seven minutes after the Pentagon was hit at 8.50 a.m., the south tower of the World Trade Center collapsed. And we will never forget. At 9.10 in the morning, United Flight 93 from Newark to San Francisco crashed in Somerset, Pennsylvania, just 80 miles southeast of Pittsburgh. And the story unfolded that the plane was headed to our nation's capital. But some heroes that day 
They took action. Their families left to mourn today. To try to find in their own heart if they can say, He gives, He takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This whirlwind of repeated tragedies left us stunned. As the stories unfolded, I will never forget the mom who spoke on behalf of her and her husband about their son's death. As a little boy, he always carried a red bandana. Carried it his entire life, right up through being a student at Boston College, then graduating, being an equities trader, housed in an office in one of the trade centers. And when the attack happened, this former lacrosse athlete reached in his pocket and there was his red bandana. He wrapped it around his face to try and deflect some of the smoke. And he went up while others were coming down and he saved a lot of people. And every time he got someone to safety, he would go back. And he was called in that first collapse. And that mom was there along with her husband. At ground zero today, they will call out many of the names that were lost in that tragedy. They'll be holding a red bandana, embodying the memory of their boy. Last night, Boston College's football team had a sticker on their helmets of the red bandana. There's now a bandana run at Boston College because somehow out of the ashes of pain and grief can rise influence that lives on. When you take their description of grief, they called it passionate grief. I took those two words and processed them, and I even ran a search of those words, just Googled it, and it's interesting that passionate grief is the exact definition of the word lament. To lament is to feel something at that level. Prayerfully, as leaders of this church, we've wanted to appropriately remember. And to remember, there are going to be tears and we've got to walk through what happened on that day. To try and sense at a deep level a true lament. But as we will be taught... From a very book called Lamentations, we're not left with just tears. We're left with that which rises out of the pain, which becomes a response to the future. Lamentations has an incredible history, and and hear how relevant. The Babylonians had invaded Jerusalem. And there was such an attack that there was carnage of mass destruction. That's all that was left. And out of this destruction, these individuals began to pour out their heart in what's called lamentations. There's a narrator. Then there's the city that's personified as a woman. And then the one, this very interesting third character. And when you read through these five poems, 
along the way, we, we don't have one or the other. It ends up being all three at the same time. And on the one side, you're hearing nothing but stacks of oppressive grief. While on the other side, you hear a voice of hope. And it's, it's not one of the other. It's, it's a God who gives and takes away. You've got to allow these emotions to be in the same room. To be honest with you, as a pastor, I have noted that, especially in the American church, if we aren't careful, we, we sell this bill of theological goods that says if you're going to enter the hope room, then it has to be absent of all other emotions, either the sun's shining or it's not. You, you can't have sunshine and rain in the same room. And, and anytime you buy into that, there's just something in your heart that says that's not real. And it doesn't help. There has to be a God and a gospel and a message that can allow hope and pain to hold hands. However, at the end of the day, the God of hope is the larger reality. And it wins the day. This narrator says in Lamentations 1 verse 1, Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She was once great among the nations, now sits alone like a widow. The narrator just stacks the metaphors in verse 2. She sobs through the night. Tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one left to comfort her. She, the city, can't find an embrace. All her friends have betrayed her and become her enemies. As it goes on, it, it gets deeper as the city is personified as like a mom who's had her children just taken, stripped away from her. Finally, the city, the woman speaks. Here's what she says. Lord, see my misery. Reeling in the destruction, the first Desire is for someone to notice. There's something very powerful about someone's presence with you when you're grieving. They don't have to say anything. Matter of fact, it's probably better that they don't say anything. Remember Job's friends? As long as they just sat there and, and, and were silent, they were great. It's when they started talking that it messed everything up. Does anyone see my misery? And then this woman and this narrator, they kind of go back and forth through chapters 1 and 2. And the narrator begins to, to speak. And it's interesting. The narrator says, I've cried until the tears no longer come. My heart is broken. My spirit is poured out in agony as I see the desperate plight of my people. Little children and tiny babies are fainting and dying in the streets. Now, you've got to see, this guy is like a, a reporter. The best way I can connect this is to remind you that on that day of 9-11, there was a local affiliate airing live the unfolding events. And there was a reporter, he was a guy, and he was trying to document. He was trying to, to put words to what was happening he was doing his best, and as he would describe and look, and he would grab someone and, and say, tell us what was it like. I mean, the thing's unfolding. Finally, this guy, he just looks right at the camera. He's on live television. And he says, I am sorry 
but I can no longer report. I've got to help. He drops the microphone, and you watch him running into the World Trade Center, and he joins the effort. That's what happens here. This narrator, at first, he's just reporting on the destruction of the city. And as he gets closer and he describes, he can no longer just report. He too gets involved. Then, it takes us into chapter 3. And this, this third character, let me tell you what it says in verse 1 of that chapter. It says, I am the one who has seen the afflictions. I am the one, the word one in Hebrew expands out to be this defender, this, it's almost military in its, its emphasis and attitude. It's a strong man. And it says, I have seen the afflictions. Remember, what did the woman want who was in deep grief? Just for someone to see. Now, it doesn't mean I've just looked at it. The word seen there in Hebrew means he's been there, he's experienced it. The connection would be the many firemen that would go in to the buildings, come out, having helped people. A reporter would grab them and say, can you tell us anything? And they'd give a few sentences. And when they talked, even those firemen that survived that day, who talked to this day, they didn't just walk by. When they describe it, the attitude behind their words is that of someone who had experienced it. They were there. And this one, this third person, says to the lady, I see, do you remember how Jesus is described in Hebrews? He's the one who's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. It's not just that he's aware, but that he feels what you feel. He, he's that aware that when you wonder if the Lord sees what you're going through, when the Lord says, yes, I see what you're going through, it's not that... He has looked upon it. He has experienced it. That's what we need to see from that truth. Matter of fact, if you put a piano on one side of this platform and a piano on the other side and you hit middle C on this piano with no one touching this other piano, the moment, the the second that middle C is hit, this piano in a famous way will begin to resonate middle C. It's called sympathetic resonance. The minute that note is struck here, the note is struck there. The minute you hurt... The resonance is with God. He senses that same pain. So you have these these three people, these three voices, and it's interesting as you make your way through the lament, listen to this third character go on a rant of just raw reality. He has made me chew on gravel. He has rolled me In the dust, peace has been stripped away. I've forgotten what prosperity is. I I cry out, my splendor is gone. Down to verse 19, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. Do do you hear the, the takes away part? And then, he has this ability talk about another reality. And so he says in verse 22, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. 
the faithful love of the Lord never ends. Can you say amen to that? His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. Isn't this interesting? If you've gone to church for any length of time, you've probably heard somebody in some fashion say, Great is thy faithfulness, O God. The mercies of God, they're like brand new every single day. Well, where does that phraseology, where does that kind of truth come from? Where do we get this whole idea that the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Where does that come from? Right at the moment a person is speaking of everything you could lose being lost. See, this man has what I call a tangled theology. It's not wrong. Matter of fact, it's liberating. This is not the preacher who tries to communicate that if you're going to enter the hope room, there won't be cloudy days or even a headache. No, this is someone speaking on behalf of God, letting us know that pain and hope can hold hands and hope wins the day. Honesty, raw honesty, can exist in the very room of hope. Matter of fact, to really experience the God of hope, You've got to make sure there are chairs in that room for for some really, what I call, seedy characters. Because you can never experience a God of hope unless you've dealt with some humiliation, depression, oppression, discouragement, or grief. Hope can only be truly experienced as you're walking through those other emotions. So it's very real that the lamenter is getting with us today so that our lament can be effective. This coming Friday will be the anniversary of my brother's tragic death. He would be 48 years old. And I can promise you the thought of that, all kind of emotions run in my heart, and it's difficult and it's painful, but that's not the only reality. It is real to me. But at the same time, there's this category that God is faithful. See, I want to say to this lamenter when he's talking about, and I love his description, he has made me chew on gravel. You ever felt that way? He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away. Then this is the very guy who says, Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. I want to say, there's, there's a part of me that bought this, this bill of theological goods in the American gospel that says, hey, lamenter, it's got to be one or the other. And then the Holy Spirit rises and says, no, it doesn't. They live in the same room. You'll never know the depth of the Holy Spirit's comfort until you experience it at your moment of deepest grief. It's then you can say, as Job, the Lord gives. Praise his name. The Lord takes away. Praise his name.
This tangled theology is captured in the song that we intentionally led you in. Here are the verses again. Blessed be your name. In the land that is plentiful, when your streams of abundance flow, love those seasons. Blessed be your name, second verse says, when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk in the wilderness, blessed be your name. See, the writer of this song, which was the most off-sung song after 9-11, this was the course that dominated the song services of churches across America after 9-11. And I hope that we were connecting the true theology that's called here. Because on the one side, it's plentiful. And at the same time, we're also saying desert place. In the same song, we're saying where the streams of abundance flow. And no sooner do we get those words out while we're clapping our hands, we say, in the wilderness. And I love it because it's not one or the other. They live in the same room. And when we get a hold of that, It makes us know that our God is real because that's real to life because we all understand what it's like to be reminded of situations or going through them this very day and tears come as a response to the passionate grief in our heart. We're lamenting and at the same time we hear this voice saying, but the mercies of God are new. Somehow we are able to say with faith, great is thy faith. Oh God. Well, this third person gets into the fourth chapter. And let me just give you verse 22 and then describe his attitude. In verse 22, he says, Oh, beautiful Jerusalem, hey, city, hey, America, hey, world, your punishment will end. This isn't going to last forever. You will soon return from exile. There's a better time coming. And really when he leads up to that, what he's saying, and I want you to get this today, he's saying, it can't get any worse. It can't get any worse. But it will get better. It can't get any worse. And if you study that fourth chapter, when he gets to that point of saying, okay, here it is, suffering from A to Z. It can't get any worse. Listen carefully when someone says to you, I'm going through a hard time and it can't get any worse because they've just opened a space, a category. What's that category? Where they've named it. You see, lamentations, it names the problem. It exposes it. It shows the grief and the tears and the pain associated with it. And because it makes it visible, it opens up this space for a remedy, for healing. To experience this God who says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
It's Isaiah. Who goes into church on a Sunday. And his heart is heavy because his king is dead. He even starts the sixth chapter saying, it was in the year that King Uzziah died. He loved the king. The king was in control. The king had authority. And now the throne has been emptied. Death has come. Grief is real. And there is Isaiah in church that day. And he's wondering and uncertain. And there's very real pain. And he goes on to write, in the year King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord high and lifted up. I have this reality. My heart is hurting. But I'm able to see two things at once. I'm able to acknowledge that there's some pain. But I'm also able to acknowledge that there's a larger reality. There is a God of hope. And oh, how personal it was for Isaiah. What he was struggling with was his relationship that was now not like it was with the king and There was no authority, there was no leader. And so God reveals himself to Isaiah as the one who's king of kings, who's lord of lords, who's seated on a throne. Isn't it interesting that in your pain, the Holy Spirit has a way of ministering to you a revelation or a, a reminder of the character and nature of God that you need. So specific it is to your heart until it delivers you to say, the Lord gives. Or takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm hurting, but I'm going to make it. The lady who said, All I have is a red bandana. All I have is the memory of my son. She goes on in her story, and she talks about not only the red bandana. But she talks about what it meant to her when she saw that cross rise out of the ashes of 9-11. And so in her world, she's learned to see two things at once. She can acknowledge that it hurts. She's there at ground zero today with her husband, and they'll be calling out his name and other names. And they'll cry out of passionate grief a lament, while at the same time there's a category and a space that says it it can't get any worse than this. And in that acknowledgement, making it visible, comes remedy that there's a larger reality. And that is God in his steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. And that is how we grieve. There's, there's this one side of, of gospel preaching that says everything ought to end, and I just can't find a better way to say this than it ought to end in a big Jesus party. And what I mean by that is everything's okay now. No problems, the sun is back shining, everything's been put right, the ducks are in a row, and it leaves people... They may get whipped up in a church, but as soon as they get to their car, back in the raw realities of life, that kind of atmosphere doesn't sustain them. And they end up getting stuck 
in one of those processes of grief. They, they get stuck there. When we're willing to take the scripture and they, it teaches us how to lament, we can acknowledge our pain and yet keep the faith. We can acknowledge a problem and it not be a lack of faith. We can acknowledge our problem and keep the faith. We can be like Paul. And it's just absolutely amazing. Paul says, it's like 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I have everything. I have nothing. That's life. And they get real with us. And we learn that in the endurance, in the holding on to God, the Lord helps us, the Lord teaches us. The Friday after 9-11, Kelly was sitting at our kitchen table and she had opened her Bible to have devotions and it just opened to Psalm 91. And our eyes landed on Psalm 91-1 and reeling from the pain of 9-11 and those numbers and then the numbers of 9-1-1, it just... It was interesting, and as she read those verses and she thought about the pain of the attack, and then she read those historic yet relevant words, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. As she read that, the Lord was fixing her focus on the larger reality. She was seeing two things at once. The very real pain and grief and the loss. The larger reality. God is still in control. Elisha's servant came in and said, Elisha, I need to talk to you. Elisha said, what's wrong? He could tell. He, the servant was troubled. He said, we're going to die today. He said, what do you mean? He said, the enemy has surrounded us. Come look. Elisha walks out. And then he prays. He says, Lord, open your servant's eyes that he may see. Now, he wasn't struggling in his physical sight. He just needed to be able to see two things at once. He needed to be able to see with his spiritual eyes. And when Elisha prayed for his servant, it says that his servant's eyes were open and his servant saw that God's army also surrounded them and there were more for him than those who were against him. It was very real. The enemy had surrounded him. And the fear was real. But the larger reality was there was yet in the same room hope and that's what rushed over Kelly's heart that morning a song the words, the melody, the rhythm it just came right to her heart she went to the piano and the song she's about to sing was the song that God gave her that day and it's been a sustenance in our own life where at one, in one way we were experiencing the blessings of the Lord and what the Lord gives and then we were reeling in the difficulty of those seasons where he takes away. This has anchored us. This has helped us. 
And as you receive it, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to be encouraged in the presence of the Lord today. He that dwelleth in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty God. Dwelleth in the secret place Shall abide Under the shadow of the Almighty God My refuge, my fortress, my difficult places and and I want God to help me I want to experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit and I realize it can happen right in the presence of these other emotions you see we have given a corporate reminder today what happened 10 years ago we'll continue that all through this day and even the days ahead but also this is a place for you to experience God for where you are in the situation you're in. You'd say, I'm in a very difficult place and I need that special comfort today. Why don't you just lift a hand and as you lift your hand, I'll see it and I'll pray for you. I see your hand. Keep, keep lifting them. Yes. When I see your hands go up, my mind wonders what must be going on. I don't know. But I want you to know God does. And there's that resonance that God who not only sees, but he experiences it. There are times where Kelly and I have sung this song and we couldn't have had a a more authentic smile on our face generated from a season of blessing. 
There are times we've had to sing it through our tears. I want Kelly to pray today and just ask God to give special grace. If you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, sometimes we hurt so bad enough that we're open to change. And maybe you're at one of those transitions and you need God's help. But it starts with a relationship. You don't want to just turn to Him for pain. You want to turn to Him for salvation. And then to be that friend like no other. You too can just ask God to come into your heart as we pray. You'll find that He is amazing grace. He is comfort. He is power. He is stability. The foundation of our faith is God Almighty. And Satan can can bring storms and challenges. But I want to tell you that foundation remains. And that's the foundation upon which our life is built. And your life can be built on that foundation today. Just receive from the Lord in whatever situation you're in. As Kelly prays. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the peace that you give. Thank you for your presence here with us at this moment. You said in your word, behold, look. I stand at the door. I knock. If you'll just open the door, I'll come in. I'll be with you. You're the God who is with us. You're Emmanuel. We thank you for that today. Those of us who have walked with you and who know you as a personal friend, our hearts are filled with gratitude. We can't imagine how people face things that they go through in life without the friend that we know in Jesus. What a friend we have in you. We love you today, Lord, and I just pray for each one of these hands that were raised. I think it's just an awesome thing that there is not one detail hidden from you. You know every single circumstance. Not only do you know the facts, God, but you know the emotions that are tied to those facts. And you've created us. You know us better than we know ourselves. Who else would we turn to? I thank you that your presence is here today to remind us that you're a redemptive God with a loving heart, full of grace, full of mercy, and full of compassion. And so I just ask you right now, just be free in this room, Spirit of God, to do what you need to do to meet the needs of the hearts of men and women. Lord, these are your people, and I pray, God, that you will just touch each one that you will intervene, Lord. And in the moment, God, in between when we have called on you and we have seen with our eyes the answer, I thank you for the grace to walk through those days. I thank you, Lord, that you're a God who is with us through every storm, every mile of the way. I thank you for it. I have a confidence in you today, God, not because of the good days but because of the mountains that we've walked together and the valleys that we have walked together. That's why I know that there is no name like your name. And we hide today and we run to the refuge of the mighty name of Jehovah God, the one true God. We thank you for being with us today and for reminding us that there is always hope when when you're with us, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's praise him today. Amen.